So we're carrying on talking about the life flow of revival this week. Uh, last week, we looked at it in a more personal way and picking up from there, we're going into considering it in a wider context. So once again, just to remind ourselves what that means, how does revival work? What exactly is it? God makes dead things come alive. I think that's the best way I can think of describing it. And years ago, as a family, we visited Namibia, and I'd like to start with that example because it's something that's always stuck with me and really spoken to me. We visited this country and I found it an absolutely fascinating place to explore. Um, particularly impressive for me was the drive along the Skeleton Coast. This huge silence just lying over the country and everything empty, empty space, not much in the form of life as we know it. Um, as you look around, I mean, there's the old, odd sort of Velvichia plant uh, growing, nothing much else. Some bucks occasionally, and you're like, what do these bucks even eat? There's no, you know, shrubs, there's no food here. As you look around, you see a couple of, sort of dead twigs lying about the place. But then somebody opened our eyes to a miracle of revival. And this is what happens. When the mist from the ocean blows in or when the dew falls in the morning, a few drops of moisture and water fall on those little dry sticks. And suddenly something amazing takes place. That little dry stick starts to unfurl and become this green leaf full of life, nutrients, a miracle of reviving life. The life flow of revival just made absolutely concrete and visible. And I'd like to pick up from there because Psalm 133, which I'd like to read, actually uses dew and oil as metaphors. Let's read it together and see what it tells us, um, because it's a beautiful description of God's life-giving blessing, a psalm about unity and harmony of heaven that come and are lived out on earth as God's children live in the state of the harmony and unity of heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Let's read it. How truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. It's as precious as the sacred scented oil that flows down from the head of the high priest Aaron, dripping down upon his beard and running all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. This heavenly harmony can be compared to the dew dripping down from the skies upon Mount Hermon, refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. For from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. And apparently the melting snow and the dew from Mount Hermon would actually feed like this life-giving flow of water all the way through very dry and arid country 
right as far off as Jericho, life-giving stream, turning the land into fertile soil. The psalm describes that precious life flow of the Spirit, reviving, blessing wherever it flows, and of course, characteristic of how this blessing actually works is that God's people live in harmony and unity where it flows. Um, live in such harmony and unity with each other that they're able to receive this life flow and blessing in a way that completely transforms their lives. And this is the unity that I believe we, we long for. I certainly do. Unity between different churches, different denominations and flows and flavors and groupings. True unity for the bride of Christ is, is a deep longing in my heart. And I think for many of us, this is true. This unity in the spirit where God's due, his reviving, his revival blessing comes and saturates us. It's interesting to note that in nature, clouds can actually block the formation of dew. Isn't that interesting? Because I think there's a spiritual application there. There are things in our hearts and in our lives that can actually be obstacles or barriers to unity. And I'm not talking about different opinions, different ideas, different ways of doing things, perhaps different cultural traits or, or flavors, maybe even peripherally different theological perspectives, all of that, all of that stuff is actually healthy, it's good, and it's part of God's beautiful variety and diversity that he brings to life. It's not that. True unity is unity in the spirit. It's a deep oneness, I believe, and a wholeness in the Holy Spirit. Being one in the Spirit, one in the Lord, marked and distinguished by the unconditional love of God, which was, if you look at Acts, it was the distinguishing feature, the trait by which Christians were known. They were known by their love for each other. That is so beautiful and so powerful, this wholeness, this oneness in the Spirit. Um, forgiveness, in that context, forgiveness flows freely and deeply. Divisions, offenses, constantly just washed away by the blood of Jesus, by the oil of the Spirit moving amongst us. And the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, constantly, day by day. Something that really stood out for me at our last Wednesday worship night was a spontaneous song that someone began to sing about an undivided heart. Lord, give me an undivided heart. And it was picked up by people in the room and repeated and sung again and again. Let's love the Lord with an undivided heart. Let's love each other with an undivided heart, loving as Jesus loved us. That's so much on my heart for today as well. 1 Corinthians 13, of course, is the, things people, the passage people love to have read for their weddings. It's poetic, it's beautiful, but I want us to take it into our hearts today. That's why I'm reading from the Passion Translation, perhaps not as much of a spiritual cliche as the, the original um, King James that we might be used to. Let's really let it settle in our spirits and 
challenge us and spark us to just invite that flow of the Spirit and the incredibly huge, unconditional love of God that the Spirit wants to pour into us once again today. Let me read it. I'll read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect or selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Isn't that wonderful? Unity and the love of God poured into our hearts are gifts and a download from heaven, as well as an open door for the life flow of revival. We've spoken before, last year we mentioned the revival that broke out in Eastern Germany at Herrenhut. So let's look at that again. What happened at Herrenhut? Okay, let's tell a little bit of the story. There was a man called Count Zinzendorf who owned a large estate in Herrenhut. And he allowed a number of Moravian refugees to find shelter and to live on his estate. These people had a history of being brutally persecuted and they'd fled from Bohemia to come and find shelter with Count Zinzendorf. They were soon joined on the estate by numbers of other believers from various different streams and communities. But the community of Heronhood, unfortunately, in those early days, was discontent, disgruntled, critical of each other, divided. And Zinzendorf had this passion and this vision in his heart of what God wanted to do there. And he began a prayer initiative on the estate. Slowly, more and more people began to join this prayer initiative. They met together regularly, earnestly, praying, praying together. And the Holy Spirit began to do something. The Holy Spirit began to move. It was like this groundswell moving. It was like these seeds of life growing, the life sap starting to push up in that group on, on the Heronhut estate. And during one communion service, the Holy Spirit just fell on that group and they were to never, ever be the same again. What happened in terms of the prayer is that what started as a 24-7 thing actually grew to be a 24-7 prayer chain that lasted for 100 years. Amazing what the Spirit birthed in that place. When the Holy Spirit came, on that group. A harmony and a unity started to become hallmarks of that community. There was such a great love for the Lord, for his word, and for each other. 
as the Holy Spirit was just poured out in their hearts. And this is what Count Zinzendorf actually said. These are his words. He said, Everyone desired, above everything else, that the Holy Spirit might have full control. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared. And an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. It was a baptism of love. And out of this incredible baptism of love, a huge passion began to flow to actually share the gospel. 300 missionaries were sent out to Europe, to Africa, to Asia, to the Americas, to share the gospel. And the lives of thousands of people across the globe were touched by the redeeming love of Jesus. Never to be the same again. Really world-changing. Just before he died, Zinzendorf said this, Who would have believed that the prayer of Christ, that all may be one, could have been so strikingly fulfilled? The love of God transformed that community. The Spirit was poured out and there was a world-shaking movement of the Spirit that flowed out from that place. In more recent years, God gave a man called Pete Gregg a vision for the continent of the world. In fact, not just one continent, all the continents of the world. And this completely changed his life. Um, it was probably late 1990s that this took place. He was standing on the cliffs of Cape St. Vincent in Portugal. He'd been camping there, he was with a mate, they were having a good time, but it was a very inspiring, beautiful view. And he stood there and he lifted his hands in prayer and he turned towards Africa in the south, he prayed for Africa, uh, America to the west of him, and then Europe. And as he lifted his hands in prayer for these continents, suddenly there was just this incredible electric power that began to pulse through his body. And he saw in a vision an army, a literal multitude of thousands of young people, almost as if they were superimposed on the map of the world. And this army was just rising up and standing and preparing to march forward and just awaiting orders to march. And even now, it actually gives me the proverbial goosebumps because that's a picture of the kingdom army that God is raising up and has begin, already began to use around the globe. But I believe there's more to come. There's more to come. In the Valley of Dry Bones, in Ezekiel 37, God takes Ezekiel through a process as he sees the vision. It's a process of faith and transformation in his vision because as he stands in that Valley of Dry Bones, God says to him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel tries to sort of escape the question and he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. But God doesn't let him off the hook. Um, he brings him to a place where he has to be proactive. He has to take that step of faith. And God says to him, prophesy, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And then he says to him later, prophesy to the breath. It's like, come on, you move. You take a faith move. Go, speak to it. Prophesy in my name. And... Um, as, of course, as he does this, God tells him what his words are. 
that he's going to make the bones come to life and eventually there's this rattling there's this noise the rattling sound the bones come together bone to bone tendons and flesh appear skin covers them and then finally the breath um, he has to prophesy to the breath and then the breath comes from the four winds and God's breath is breathed into them and God says in verse 14 I will put my spirit in you and you will live and there's this life flow of the reviving spirit of God that he's breathing into his people and of course he's doing it on an ongoing basis all the time around the globe but I believe there's a specific word for us today to take this word and to make it ours in a in a very specific and significant way in terms of making dead things come alive in terms of revival and resurrection the greatest demonstration of God's power and the ultimate declaration of his love for us has to be what the resurrection of Jesus Christ after his death on the cross such love such life bursting out from the darkness of sin, pain, suffering, the dying, the broken world, Jesus rising up the first fruits of a new creation. Corinthians 15:20 says, "But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep." <laughs> the most awesome demonstration of God's intention for us, His motivation, love. His intention, life, new life, abundant life, the life of salvation and the ongoing, everyday, sanctifying, cleansing, revitalizing new life of a new creation. That's what he intends for us. That's his heart. The reviving power of the Spirit of God makes me very excited. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And it's there to revive all of creation, all things in every dimension. Think of it. All creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Isn't that exciting? In us, believers, are the seeds and the power of revival. For our personal being, infilling, and then overflowing as heaven is released in and through us released to our families our loved ones our friends but there's more heaven breaking out in our spheres of influence and involvement whether we're just socializing or whether we're involved in some areas of social justice upliftment of people in society whatever it is this power this life flow of revival it's coming through us, out into the world around us. Heaven released in healthcare, education, innovations in science, um, creative strategies and developments in business, different expression in arts, culture, music, no matter what it is. How have we visualized revival before? When we think about revival, have we thought about meetings where presence of God is felt, that God encounters glorious, beautiful manifestations of his presence. Yes, of course, but there's 
so much more. What about the so much more? How about a glorious church without walls where there are healings, miracles in homes, on the streets of the city, full of the energy of God, the power, the creativity of God just bursting forth in our giftings in every place where we interact with others or where we work. The wild frontiers of faith breaking out in revival power. The life flow of the life and reviving power of the Spirit just breaking out into the world around us. And I hope you can say with me today, as we come to the end of this time, let the wind blow through me. Let the wind of the Spirit blow unhindered through us. I want to end by reading an amazing, radical, and exciting, beautiful prayer that Pete Gregg wrote. And this is how it goes. God, my Father, you love us too much to leave us as we are. Jesus, my Lord, you live to intercede for us. Holy Spirit, you are praying for us now with groans beyond talking. Lead us out into the wild frontiers of faith. May our desire for your presence begin to erupt beyond the predilections of current circumstance. May the frameworks of normality begin to feel intolerable. Compel us to wonder. Inspire us to innovate. Provoke us to rage against injustice. Come, Holy Spirit, flow through us.